0: Hey, church, and welcome to a very different kind of Church Everywhere experience this week. This Sunday is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday in the traditional church calendar that leads into Holy Week up to Easter weekend next weekend. And Palm Sunday celebrates that moment where Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey, where he becomes that Prince of Peace entering into the City of Peace, and the crowds gather around him and sing praises to him, and he enters into the city And through the week ahead, finally ends up on that cross in his death and resurrection. And this week, I want us to sit around the scripture moment of that Palm Sunday experience. Because in there is something that I think is incredibly challenging for us as we face a changed world here in 2020. With everything that's been happening with the virus there's something actually that has changed in us, I think, in terms of how we begin to think and expect the ways in which Jesus might be an act. And that's actually the deeper message of Palm Sunday. So to help us to understand that, I want to take us to a sermon that I preached in 2017. It was a sermon, a part of the story of Jesus, a series that we were doing at the time, a series that we flew to Israel and filmed a whole bunch of footage there and brought it into our sermons. And so, uh, today, as we look at this Palm Sunday message from 2017, my, my prayer for you is that you would begin to reflect on the content of this message and how it actually maybe speaks somewhat prophetically into the world that we're facing right now. Let's see Palm Sunday 2020 through the eyes of the story of Jesus. How's everyone doing? You all right? You good? Hey, I wonder if you remember this image from the first week of the story of Jesus. This is laughing Jesus. If you weren't here in the first week back in November, um, I explained that this picture of Jesus was uh, stuck on a notice board in the lecture hall of the very first lecture that I had at seminary, and this picture really annoyed me. And it annoyed me because it pictured Jesus unlike how I had ever really thought of him. I hadn't really ever up until that point in my life ever thought of Jesus as the kind of guy who would sort of make a joke that would be so funny that he'd have to throw his head back and laugh just like how you and I would. Up until that point in my life, Jesus had always been the Savior, the King, the Risen One. He had always been the one that I had worshipped, the one I had looked up to, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the name that was above every name. Of course, I knew that He was 100% God and 100% human, but when I was faced with an image of His humanness, I struggled to deal with it. Because the reality was, I had created a little box in which Jesus sat in my life. And and I had come to kind of expect that Jesus would act and do and think and be just like how I had kind of controlled him to be. And when Jesus is in this box, it's, it's safe, right? I understand Jesus. He's not a mystery anymore. He's manageable. Is anybody with this? But the reality is, Jesus so often reveals himself to us in a way that's outside of the box that we put him in, and when he does that, the question is, how do we respond? And for me, on very first day at seminary, I responded by being offended by it. Who is this Jesus? And that's the question the disciples have been asking every step of the way of this story of Jesus sermon series that we've been doing over the last six months. We're in week 21 this week, and and every single step of the way we've seen Luke give us a picture of the disciples at some time seeing Jesus as he truly is. There there are beautiful moments, like when when Peter, uh, after the miraculous catch of fish, falls on his knees in front of Jesus and says, forgive me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And then those moments where the disciples get sent out by Jesus in ministry and and they do in authority and power the things that they had seen Jesus doing. Or, or, Or like those moments where they see the miracles and the signs of the kingdom and they know that God's kingdom is breaking into the here and now. There were a number of times where they were seeing Jesus true and good. But the reality has been in the gospel of Luke that most of the times, the disciples are just like you and I sometimes confused about this jesus sometimes not really fully understanding him and when jesus didn't fit into their box they really struggled with who he was remember that time when 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 peter confesses jesus as the messiah And Jesus says, yes, I am the Messiah, but not the Messiah you think. I'm going to have to go to the cross. I'm going to have to die. And and Peter straight away says, no, no, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're never going to have to die. And Jesus responds by saying, get behind me, Satan what about that moment in the transfiguration when they're up the mountain and Jesus reveals his glory to the disciples and Peter's so excited about it. He thinks this is finally the Messiah come in his glory and he says, let's build some tents. Let's kind of inhabit this space. This is where we're gonna stay forever. And Jesus is like, don't you get it? I'm gonna come down the mountain and I'm gonna have to go to a cross. Or those times where the disciples are arguing amongst themselves and saying, who is going to sit at the right hand of Jesus in his glory? Which one of us is going to sit next to him in a position of power and authority for all eternity? And Jesus is like, whoa, you guys are so, so caught up in the wrong concept of who I am. Don't you realize that the Messiah has come to serve, not be served, And so all along the way, the disciples have been struggling with just who this Jesus is, wanting to try to put him in a safe, manageable box, and constantly Jesus breaking out of their expectations. And this is seen no more powerfully than in the passage we're looking at today. Today is Palm Sunday. Churches around the world are celebrating today as the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem, the, the disciples at this point in Jesus' life were so excited. They had waited literally years for Jesus to get to the point where their Messiah was entering into Jerusalem. They realized from prophecy long ago that the Messiah would one day come back to the city of Jerusalem, that they were expectant that when Jesus walked into the city, he would create this earthly kingdom. Finally, the Romans would be dealt with. They'd be sent away, and Jesus would be like this warring, mighty king who establishes the reign of the Jews again in Jerusalem forever. Ever. And they were so excited about this, and they had no idea about the cross. And here, Jesus is directly taking them to Jerusalem to show them who the Messiah actually is. In fact, from his transfiguration onwards, Luke tells us that Jesus resolutely set out towards Jerusalem. He's been walking specifically there. Let me, let me show you on this map the straight line, and he did it literally straight like, no, he didn't do it straight like this, but so, so he transfigures in, in the north part of Israel, right at the top of the screen there, right near the, uh, the Lake of Galilee. And after that moment, he's every step of the way in his ministry, heading himself down towards Jerusalem, and he goes down the left side of the lake, ministering in all of the towns in in the area of Galilee, and then straight down into the Judean wilderness, and into the, the flattest part of the world, the lowest elevation in the world, which is just around Jericho, and he goes through the town of Jericho, and then after that, he begins to walk up the Judean hills, through the Judean wilderness, up the hills towards Jerusalem. Now, he hasn't seen Jerusalem since he was a little kid. In his heart, he had longed to go there again. And this is the moment as he's coming up those hills. Jerusalem is set up on a hill. So if you're in Jericho walking up to Jerusalem, you're literally walking up what feels like almost a mountain to get there And as he crests that final hill to begin to peer upon the city that he loves, Luke captures for us the moment and shows us this excitement that the disciples had, but also begins to show us exactly what Jesus is going to do. I wanna wanna read the passage to you from Luke chapter 19. It might be familiar to you, but I hope today as we look at this, we'll see it with fresh eyes, and we might see Jesus a little bit clearer. Verse 28, Then Jesus had said this. He went on ahead. uh, uh, Sorry, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Notice going up there to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying this, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt or a donkey tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell them this the Lord needs it. That's all you'll need to say. And they'll be like, sure. <laughs> Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked, whoa, 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 why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And they said, sure, go ahead. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus upon it. As he went along the road, people spread their cloaks on the road. When they came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in a loud voice. No wonder, because they were so excited that this was the moment. The, and they proclaimed him in a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen, and here's what they said. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Ah, yeah. There's always some people in the crowd that want to ruin it for everybody else. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Te- teacher, not Messiah, not Lord, teacher, Can you rebuke your disciples? Jesus says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Here's actually what Jesus said. If you, yes, even you, had known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in from every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within the walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You see these two stories side by side and it it creates confusion, doesn't it? There's this amazing moment of Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey to the praises of the disciples. Praise the Lord, he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then straight away after that, Luke tells us that Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. The Greek word is kaleo. It means to weep as if you've lost a loved one. And these two things, this joy of the disciples, And the weeping of Jesus is exactly what we need to think about as we ourselves enter into Jerusalem this week as we celebrate Easter. And to help you to understand just the emotions that were happening in this moment, to help you to begin to understand where the disciples were coming from and yet their wrong expectations and actually what Jesus was about to do I want to take you again to Jerusalem. I want to take you actually to those hills that Jesus would have walked up and to the Mount of Olives where you can see for yourself the incredible view that Jesus would have seen. Let's go to Israel. Jesus has had a long relationship with Jerusalem. Uh, we know uh, from the scriptures that Jesus' mother and father would have uh, brought him to the city uh, every year for Passover as a child and, uh, and Luke records for us that, that beautiful story uh, of Jesus at 12 years of age uh, debating with the rabbis in the temple court. But during his ministry, uh, Jesus has intentionally stayed away from the city. I mean, he knew that his arrival in the city would precipitate the events that would lead to his death Jerusalem, which means the city of peace, would actually be anything but for Jesus. This is the climax of Jesus' story. And there must have been such a huge swell of contrasting emotions as he climbed these last few metres of his journey up the hill that would crest towards the view of Jerusalem. Jesus had been announcing his kingdom all along the way and now it was time for him to enter into the city and embody that kingdom for himself. This was to be the moment of God's new exodus, God's great Passover. And as well as Jesus with these emotions, His disciples were also swept up in excitement. This is their beloved Messiah, arriving in their beloved city. And so the disciples, uh, in keeping with Old Testament prophetic tradition, treat Jesus like an arriving, conquering King. They remove their cloaks and and place them on the ground before Him. And then they join into a, a glorious chorus of Psalm 118, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And then right in the middle of it all, Luke records for us the moment that Jesus crest that hill and finally for the first time in a long time, gazes his eyes upon the city that he loves. I mean, it's a beautiful city, stunning in how it looks, and I can imagine how his eyes would have been taken to the central landmark of the place, the, the temple that laid there before them. I mean, Jesus must have been just filled with excitement and joy. And then something unexpected happens. As Jesus is looking out on the physical beauty of the city, as he's gazing upon the temple itself, he also with his eyes understands the spiritual reality of the people within. He he knows that their hearts have been hardened. He knows that they long for peace and yet when the Prince of Peace arrives, they will reject him. His eyes also see uh, into the future. He, he sees in 70 AD that the, the, the armies are camped around the city and he knows that many people will be killed within. And when he understands all this, it swells up an emotion in him and he begins to just shed tears. The Greek word that's used here actually means a loud wailing, the, a loud sobbing, the kind of thing that you do when you lose a loved one. And the contrast could not be more stark. You've got the the praises of the disciples on one hand and the tears of a Messiah on the other. Worship and weeping side by side. Contrast that I think this whole passage is about. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem on the praises of a people who are expecting him to be something that he is not. See, the people are excited because they believe that Jesus is going to take a literal throne, that he's going to arrive in Jerusalem, be the long for Messiah of their dreams, overthrow the oppression of the Romans. But actually, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to die. He, he's coming to go to the cross to be rejected and slandered and then killed and when those that had been singing praise him as he entered Jerusalem are confronted with this reality just a few days later they're now shouting crucify him Last weekend, I was in Shanghai for a Vine wedding. It was a phenomenal wedding in a beautiful location. I was there with uh, my wife and my daughter Mia, and we had a great wedding. And in the evening, uh, the reception was in one of the oldest uh, buildings on the Bund, uh, right there by the river uh, in the heart of Shanghai. And um, it was in this beautiful restaurant, but uh, downstairs in the cellar, we had our cocktails just before the reception started. And so we all went down this kind of rickety staircase into this old cellar, and I, I know how old the building was, but it was pretty old, and the cellar was these really low ceilings, and a couple of times, I'm about six foot, I had to kind of like bend over a little bit, make sure I didn't bang my head on the pipes on the top of the ceiling, and in this wine cellar were, were hundreds of wine lockers. This is a place where uh, wealthy individuals in Shanghai and in China store their wine. In fact, we found out whilst we were there uh, that Yao Ming actually uh, uh, kind of stores his wine there, uh, which I thought was incredibly ironic given how low the ceilings were uh, in the place. He would have to to kind of crawl in to anyway, but um, so so we're in there and, and and this cocktail reception's starting, and these waiters and waitresses are walking around with these plates and a mm-hmm. little mirrors there, and suddenly a waitress walks by with a plate, and on this plate, this beautiful silver plate are lots of chocolate balls about the size of like um, a, t- a table tennis ball, just lots of chocolate balls and and as this goes by she 's like her eyes just get like massive, right? She's like, can't believe, like all her Christmases have come at once. There's a tray of chocolate in front of her. And, uh, and Chris and I are kind of observing this, thinking like, oh my gosh, it's a bit, uh, we don't wanna, it's a bit late, we don't want to eat chocolate and all this kind of thing. And, and then Mia, I think kind of picking up on our vibe, uh, Mia has this very clever way of getting her way with everything. Um, and that's by um, giving like this like, little look of, of innocence and desire and please, please, please kind of look. Uh, in fact, I want to show you how that look looks. It's like this. <laughs> if she can produce a little fake tear at the same time, like, that's like really good, right? So, so Mia, the chocolate goes by and she's like, oh, please, please, you know, like, like pull one of these faces at us, and I, I can't deny my, my little girl, so so I'm like, yeah, sure, honey, you can have one of the, one of the chocolate balls, and so she follows after the waitress, and she, she, the waitress holds the plate down low so she can see it, and she looks at all these, there must have been like 20 of them on the plate, and she finds the biggest one, right, and she takes the biggest one, and then and, and this is what happens, she takes it, and she's like this, she's like, ah. She spits out this this chocolate ball. Turns out, inside the chocolate ball is foie gras, <laughs> duck liver, goose liver, right? Foie gras, like this foie gras is like right there in the middle of it, like. And she's like, like wiping it all out of her mouth. It's like the most disgusting thing she has ever eaten. And I'm like, oh my. And then she dumps it onto my hand, and, and I I don't know what to do with it. So I put it in Yao Ming's locker, and I just. <laughs> I didn't put it in Yao Ming's locker, don't worry. Um, I threw it away. (laughs) Chocolate ball looking great inside, which she did not like or expect. When was the last time you ate something that didn't quite turn out how you were expecting? When was the last time you made an investment that didn't quite turn out what you were hoping for? When was the last time you brought a product based on the marketing hype and you brought it back into your house and then you realize it's really not that great of a product after all, right? The disciples are praising Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem based on marketing hype that had been passed over from generation to generation by rabbis and those expecting for the Messiah to come. And by the time that the disciples see him coming into Jerusalem, they think Jesus is coming in to fulfill the very things that they wanted him to fulfill, which had very little to do with their sin and everything to do with getting rid of the horrible Gentile oppressors that were occupying Jerusalem. So their desire, their reason why they're praying is that they're believing that Jesus is going to come in and do what they've always longed to do. In fact, they are so excited about this that they start to sing, just like you and I do when we're excited. We just start singing, don't we? Yeah. And they... They sing a specific song. They sing Psalm 118. Let me, let me read it to you, just a quote from it. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a direct quote from Psalm 118. Now, the reason why they chose Psalm 118 is because it was a messianic psalm. It was a psalm that was actually sung in the temple at those days, in those days, longing for the Messiah to come to Jerusalem. The psalm itself speaks about how Yahweh is a mighty warring king. How the king will arrive to defeat Israel's enemies. It was everything that they had expected that Jesus would do. And so they're celebrating. They're singing this psalm. They're expecting that their Messiah will come and eradicate the Romans. This is why the Pharisees have a problem with it. Because the Pharisees look at this dusty rabbi from Nazareth and think he's not the Messiah. And so they say to the rabbi, hey, hey, teacher, rabbi, could you tell your disciples just to pipe down a little bit? Because this is kind of embarrassing for us and for you. Because they're singing about the arrival of the Messiah and you're just a random rabbi walking into Jerusalem. Jesus said, no, you don't understand. Actually, I am the Messiah, and I am arriving into Jerusalem. And man, if they weren't singing Psalm 118, guess what? All of creation would cry out for this moment. Oh, the Jewish people, we've been longing for this for generations and generations, and it's just about to happen. Jesus said, they've got the right song. The problem was, they had the wrong expectation. And so he says, let them sing away. But in that very moment, he then stands before them, and whilst there's praise ringing in his ears, he looks out over Jerusalem, Jerusalem meaning the city of peace, and he cries because he realizes they just don't get it. They don't see him as the true Messiah. Here's the words that he uses in verse 43. 42, he says this, if you, even you, had known on this day, what would bring you peace? In other words, what he's saying is peace is not going to come by some warring king who's going to walk in here on your expectations, doing what you want him to do, eradicating the Romans. Actually, peace is coming to you by the cross. Peace is going to come to you by actually something that will look like human failure. Peace is gonna come to you out of death and then resurrection. And he says, it's so ironic that the city of peace, longing for peace, and now me, the prince of peace, walking into the city, and everything is actually hidden from you. It's like the disciples in the crowd are holding in their hands beautiful chocolate balls, completely oblivious to the foie gras sitting inside. And when they get confronted with the foie gras, they act just like Mia, and they spit out the taste that they don't like. You see, they believe that Jesus is coming in to set up this new kingdom, eradicate the Romans, and show how mighty the Jewish people are. Actually, as I said in the film, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to die. He is the longed, hoped-for, final Passover lamb. He is going to redeem the people, but he's going to do it in a way that they never would expect. And when they were hoping for this great warring kingship moment, when they actually then encounter Jesus getting arrested, Jesus getting put on trial, Jesus suffering the indignation of accusations that weren't true, Jesus going to the cross to die? Jesus dying? That didn't taste very good at all. That was not anything that they expected. Jesus was not how they thought he was going to be. And suddenly they realized that the people that had been paying, kind of praising, you know, praise him as he walks into Jerusalem are the very same people that just a few days later will cry out, Crucify him. I don't like this taste. This is not what I signed up for. This is not the Jesus. That I expected. Easter is about our journey towards a Jesus that none of us ever expected. The beauty of Easter, the beauty of this triumphal entry, the great questions that it asks us are simply this. What's your praise like? I mean, seriously, today, what's your praise like? Are you, like the disciples, really good at praising Jesus because he does the things that you want him to do, and when he actually doesn't come through for you, when he doesn't answer that prayer, when when he doesn't actually come through in the way you were expecting him to do, what happens to your praise then? Do you, like the disciples, go from praise him, crucify him, Don't like it anymore. And the beautiful thing that Luke is setting up for us is exactly this tension found in this story. Worship and weeping side by side. The beauty of Easter is that we journey to the cross in order to get to the resurrection. The beauty of this moment for the disciples, even in that moment, though they didn't recognize it, is that Jesus was actually taking them to the very place where they would realize, hang on a sec, we had it all wrong. He had to go to that cross. He had to die. He had to raise again to new life. And it's good because it's now not the Romans that are, are taken away from us. It's our sin that is taken away from us. You see, The triumphal entry, although we've often seen it as a sermon about praising God because he's good, is actually a moment that asks us a deep, sober reflection. Where are you as you come to Easter this year? Where's your heart? How's your praise of him when you don't get that promotion you longed for? when that prayer doesn't get answered? When when life doesn't quite turn out what you were expecting? What happens to your heart? As I was wrestling with this personally myself, as I was preparing for the message today, God spoke some pretty strong things to me in this sober reflection of this moment. And the main thing that that I got was, was this, that, I know that um, Jesus calls me to follow him, so why do I so often live as if Jesus is going to come and follow me? Why do I so often ask Jesus to fit into my expectations, my box, what I want, what I need, what I think is right? So why do I so often create a Jesus that I'm comfortable with? See, the, the disciples and I think we can be like this too. We're praising God, praising Jesus for what they thought. When they encountered the reality, they changed their song. How often do we, with Jesus, how often are we quite happy to throw our cloaks down on the floor and praise Him as long as He keeps giving us new cloaks that are better? When actually, in the reality is that He's given us this cross this place of brokenness, this place of beauty, but beauty in a way that we've never understood it. He's given us this cross that that is the place where we bring our sin to Him. But every time I fail to praise Him, even when things don't work out for me, I've just put the nail a little bit deeper into Him. And actually, actually, as I begin to profoundly understand what he's done on the work of the cross, as I allow Jesus to break out of the box that I have put him in, that's when I actually receive new life. That's when I find myself truly celebrating Easter as God intended. So for you, you're about to start your Easter week. This is your triumphal entry into Easter in 2017. You'll be journeying this week towards the cross on Friday and then the resurrection on Sunday. And what Luke would call us to do at the start of this week is to realize that we're not cheering and praising Jesus because he's entering into our city. We're actually praising Jesus because he's entering into his. And our job is to follow him all the way, yes, even into sacrifice and suffering and false accusation and the cross, for that's the only journey that will take us into the newness of life. Jesus is the prince of peace, but we have to go to the cross to truly experience it. Fuego is an acquired taste. Are we willing this Easter to take a bite? I wonder whether you'd stand with me. I wanna pray for us. Why don't you just bow your head and I'm gonna pray. Father, we just are so grateful for this story of Jesus entering into his beloved city. He had longed to go there and in going there, this mixture of praise and weeping, joy and sorrow that would make the Easter story what it truly is. And Father, as we today stand now before you and stand also before Easter week ahead, Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would come now and prepare us for Easter. Lord, I believe Palm Sunday is about preparation. It's about seeing you for who you truly are. It's about allowing you to break out of the comfortable boxes that we place you in. It's about not putting expectations on you that are our expectations and not what the scripture says about you. As we stand in front of Easter week ahead of us, the call of God upon us now is to look towards the cross, to look towards the times in our lives where we, like the disciples, have failed to praise Him true and good. Some of you in this room, you'll recognize this in your life. You know that you are great at praising God when things are going great in your life. When things are not going so well, you completely forget the tune. Some of you in here are disappointed and have been disappointed for a while because the chocolate bowl didn't turn out quite how you were expecting it to turn out. And yet Jesus wants to now meet you in that disappointment. He wants to now minister to you in the place that you're in. He'd like to come alongside of you this morning and say, Easter is for you. That I went to that cross and I took your sin and I paid the price so you would know the fullness of life. And our response this morning is to commit to praise Him, not just when things are looking great, but to praise Him even when things don't seem to be right. To find in the depths of our hearts a hallelujah, a hosanna, a praise Him, even though our lives may be struggling and difficult and hard. The beauty of Easter is that the cross is the place that we find peace. The cross is the place we go through to find life. I want to encourage you over the week ahead to spiritually journey in your heart towards Friday and Sunday. I wanna encourage you to spend some time this week just allowing the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Allow Him to meet you on Friday in a profound way at the cross. Allow Him to break out of expectation and allow Him to be the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus of history, the Jesus of right now for you. And then as you bring your sin to Him you can step with confidence in Sunday to the resurrection, filling your hearts with that peace that the Prince of Peace can only bring. This is his gift to you, and it's such a precious gift that all we do is respond in praise and praise and praise and praise. Father, would you come and minister to your people? with our words and our song give you glory in the good, bad and ugly of life. Just as I said right there at the end of the message, my prayer for you this week in 2020 is that you actually discover that deeper relationship with the Prince of Peace and that you find a deeper and more rich place of peace in your heart as well. Uh, to help you with that journey from today onwards over the next seven days, we're going to be sending out a daily devotional focus around those last seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. If you currently uh, get emails from us as a church, you'll automatically get those devotionals. If not, you may want to sign up for them and you can do so at the link here on the screen. Also, I want to encourage you, as we've been doing every week, uh, for you to be able to have your options to continue to give financially towards the Vine and our church family. Uh, And you guys have been amazing in doing this uh, throughout our Church Everywhere experience. I want to thank you for your generosity. Uh, And remember, there are plenty of ways that you can give online in this season. Again, all of those links are here on the screen now. Please check them out uh, and give uh, as the Lord leads you to. And we're so grateful that you're standing with us. As we enter into Holy Week, may I encourage you to spend daily time with Jesus in prayer and reflection. And may I encourage you to seek that Prince of Peace wherever it means most for you. Whatever places in your heart that you're struggling with, anxieties or fears, expectations that have not been met as we've been talking about uh, throughout our time together today. Wherever it might be, may you welcome in the Prince of Peace to the city of your heart. And may you experience his grace and mercy in a fresh way. Have a great week, everyone.